Welcome to the podcast of the Center for Asian American Christianity at Princeton Theological Seminary, a space for ongoing dialogue among Asian American scholars, ministry leaders, and activists. I have the privilege and honor of introducing our next plenary speaker, uh, Jess Cho Kim. Jess Cho Kim is a licensed clinical social worker with over 15 years of experience providing mental health services to youth, adults, and families. Jeff serves on the advisory board of the Mustard Seed Generation, where she helped develop a mental health training program for Korean American church leaders. Jess is also an activist who helped pass legislation for inclusion of AAPI curriculum in New Jersey public schools and continues advocacy on the boards of Make Us Visible NJ and the Asian American Alliance in South Jersey. She is a national speaker and consultant on Asian American mental health and racialized trauma. She loves her local church where she currently serves as an elder and helps start a ministry to normalize mental health needs and resources. Jess brings lived experience as a family caregiver of a loved one with mental health challenges and understands how so many Asian American families suffer in isolation. Let's welcome Jess. Jess, the floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you to David um, and the Center for Asian American Christianity for inviting me. It's really such a privilege to uh, be here and talk at this um, important conference. I was so excited uh, at this inaugural conference last year when it launched. I thought, oh my gosh, finally we're talking about this in um, you know, church spaces. And I think it's great. Um, never would I have imagined that I would be uh, speaking the very next year. So um, it's really, truly such an honor to be here. Let me share my slides and uh, get right to it. If I can figure this out. Hold on, there we go. All right, can everyone see that? Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, today I'm going to be talking with you all about mental health ministry in the Asian American church. And uh, I'm very aware that this title sounds a little presumptuous, because <laughs> first of all, like, what is the Asian American church, right? I mean, let alone what a mental health ministry in an Asian American church is, right? I mean, we're talking about um, 50 different ethnic groups speaking over 30 different languages. Uh, we're very diverse, but we do know that 42% of Asian Americans identify as Christian, making it, you know, really the predominant religion among Asian Americans. And we also know that many Asian Americans, they, they seek their church leaders before they go to mental health professionals. And so what are the implications of that, right? It's a, it's a big topic, but the conversation needs to start somewhere. So this was kind of the broadest title to capture, uh, you know, the essence of what I'm trying to convey. And so my agenda today really boils down to this. I'd like to touch on uh, three main points, right? One, what is going on with our mental health as Asian Americans? And why has this been so tough for our churches to address well? And lastly, how can we begin to start helping in a real way? And uh, I know we don't have 
a ton of time, and there's so much that could be said about this, but my hope is that listeners today might come away just a little bit more aware, um, just a little more convicted maybe, and hopefully a little bit more um, equipped than you were before you joined us today. So um, I also think it could be helpful to uh, introduce myself a little bit because I bring different lenses to this topic um, because of my background. I'm a 1.5 generation Korean American. I'm the youngest daughter in a family of four. My parents immigrated here in the late 1970s when I was just two. And um, like so many of you, I have that, uh, you know, quote, immigrant experience um, along with all of what that can bring, right? In terms of the trauma from migration, racism, attempts at trying to assimilate here, right? Um, I also grew up in the Korean American church. And so I know what it's like to associate church with um, feeling scrutinized, being compared to others, and uh, just feeling kind of condemned for not being holy enough. Um, I actually left the church for a little while and then came back later um, as an adult. So uh, I'm continually seeking ways to help church be a place of healing, you know, healing in Jesus instead of this place that I remember as a young person. I'm also a mental health professional, so I understand mental health issues clinically. Um, and I have some experience with the mental health system from that provider um, vantage point. And, you know, there are many helpful things about the mental health system, as well as many unhelpful realities about our system, which I can acknowledge. And I'm a family caregiver of a sibling with persistent mental health challenges. And so what that means is that I understand the frustrations of uh, trying to navigate a broken mental health system that's severely under-resourced and oftentimes not uh, very culturally sensitive. Um, I also know what the, the shame and the secrecy can be like as a family too. And lastly, I'm involved in collaborating with other folks who are also passionate um, about supporting Asian American mental health, uh, like Mustard Seed Generation, as well as in my local church, um, you know, to try to develop tools and resources um, for others who are invested in this kind of mental health ministry. Now, what I am not is a theologian. Um, and so I am personally kind of in this like continuous process um, where I'm searching for kind of like a deeper integration of mental health and faith uh, in a way that's grounded in biblical truth. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I was so excited to see this conference launch last year, because like um, all of you, I'm, I'm here to, to listen and to learn and to discuss together. So, you know, I'm saying all this because I want to be explicit about who I am and what my positionality is, because there is so much um, tremendous diversity within the Asian American church. You know, we have immigrant churches, we have independent English ministries, um, Pan-Asian multi-ethnic churches, and we also have, you know, com uh, college campus ministries, right? So I wouldn't even want to attempt to try to speak for everyone, uh, but what I do hope is that we can all be bound together in our collective sort of obligation as the body of Christ, right, to care about this. So um, let's get started. Yeah, what's going on with our mental health? 
as Asian Americans, right? Like, is this different than what we're seeing in the general population? Is there something about being Asian American that uniquely impacts our mental health? You know, why are we even talking about it in this way? So this is a, a vintage throwback to my angsty teenage years. Uh, I think I'm about 16 here. And, uh, you know, it's a little embarrassing to share this publicly, but uh, truthfully, I have a lot of um, affection for this young person when I look at this. She really was doing uh, the best that she could. Um, and I had a very hard exterior because on the inside, I was so anxious so much of the time. You know, I had no language to understand or articulate what I was experiencing as a, a racialized Asian American kid from an immigrant family, right, living in a neighborhood that was uh, not very diverse at all, right? And Jessica Chen Feng just talked about this notion of disconsciousness, right? I very much uh, resonate with that. We were very much outsiders, and I didn't have uh, the words back then, you know, words like racialized trauma, microaggressions, acculturation, right? All these words that we have today, and thank God for them, right? I just knew that I didn't want to be put in a box of the stereotype of this typical Asian American girl who gets straight A's is geeky and passive. That I knew, right? Today, I understand that as me pushing against uh, the model minority stereotype, which I felt all around me, I didn't have that language back then, right? So I was very angry and always sort of uh, pushing boundaries because really I needed help. You know, I needed um, someone to come alongside me. But to every adult around me, it's like, as long as I was uh, taking honors courses, I, I must be fine, right? That was, that was really the extent of the evaluation. And so um, as a consequence, I got into a lot of trouble, okay? And we'll leave it at that. Um, by this point, I had stopped going to church for a couple of years because youth group felt like a very judgmental space where I just couldn't measure up to um, being a good enough Christian. And when I got to college, it felt very much the same to me. These campus ministry spaces kind of, you know, uh, exuded this culture of um, kind of exclusive righteousness, really, is how I would put it, and this veneer of wholesomeness all the time that I just couldn't connect with. And so church was not a very safe space for me, okay? But my story is just one story. So let's see what's been going on with the API community at large. So this is just a really broad overview of just some of the landscape uh, that's been pretty well cited in the literature on Asian American mental health. And, you know, I do think it's really important to disaggregate data by ethnic group, but, uh, you know, to get kind of meaningful conclusions. But I think for the purposes of, you know, our time together today, I just really want to convey uh, the broader scope, which is to say that there are significant issues, you know, that impact us collectively as Asian Americans. For example, we know that suicide was the leading cause of death among Asian American young people in 2020. And there's um, a lot of evidence suggesting uh, that things like academic pressure and family conflict, right, are some of the greatest stressors for young Asian Americans. You know, this pressure to succeed is enormous in so many Asian American families. 
Um, and as Jessica Chenfeng so beautifully um, articulated before, the conflicts are um, primarily driven by generational gaps, right, um, between parents and kids, you know, things like language differences and, and differences in values and expectations, okay? Um, we've also known for decades that Asian Americans have the lowest rates of mental health service use compared to all other races. And, you know, this is pretty characteristic of most Asian American groups. This is regardless of gender, uh, age, geographic location. And it's not because we have lower rates of mental disorders that we know. Um, it's more because of the lack of uh, culturally competent providers and just not being able to afford services a lot of the time, lack of health insurance, um, and really stigma around seeking professional help. And another aspect also of this service problem use is um, also represented by the delays in help seeking uh, that we see um, until the severity of whatever mental health problem we have becomes really, really heightened. You know, we wait until things get really bad before we access the system. And in the meantime, you know, a lot of families tend to deal with these struggles alone, which is a really big problem. And many you know, of you know by now about uh, the data that Stop API Hate uh, has been tracking since the start of the pandemic. Um, they've tracked a lot of hate incident reports. I think it was 11,000 uh, last year. And just to give you some perspective, that was an increase of 339%, okay, compared to just the year before. And we have multiple studies uh, that were conducted during the pandemic that have shown that racial ethnic harassment and discrimination is linked to poor self-rated health. Okay, it's been linked to other things like increased depression, reduced self-esteem, anger, powerlessness, and a lot of other negative psychological effects. Okay, and there's also emerging evidence that shows increases in alcohol use among Asian American young adults as a way to kind of cope um, with racism. And this um, collective trauma really illustrates just how mental health and well-being can't only be understood on an individual level, right? Like we had learned uh, with Jessica Chen Feng, right? Uh, not just in terms of what's going on with us individually, internally, it also has to be understood on a broader collective level, right? In terms of the structural societal forces, right? That are impacting our psychic lives. So that, you know, even if we weren't um, directly attacked, let's say, right, um, by some sort of hate incident, many of us were still experiencing symptoms like hypervigilance, right, um, avoidance, not going places, changing up our commutes, right, feeling numbness, right, in response to some of the racism that was directed at Asian Americans. But my question is, was your church talking about this at all? It what's always fascinated me is how so many Asian American congregants are unconscious of the fact that we often um, use Asian American church spaces to heal our racialized trauma, right? And maybe the right, right term is disconsciousness at this point, right? Um, and, and we come to sort of work out our racialized trauma. We just don't know that that's what we're doing. Uh, we're not conscious of it. You know, instead we'll say things like, Oh, I feel more comfortable here, or, or it's just easier to connect with Asian American Christians, right? 
but it seems that our curiosity about this phenomenon doesn't ever really seem to go deeper than that. You know, um, what does it mean if if church is the the only place every week where we can come and just be ourselves and relax in our own Asian skin, right? How does this impact the way that we do church? Shouldn't we be trying to better understand that? And shouldn't this be their aspect maybe of how we lament and seek God um, and, and ask for his guidance and how to live out this um, Asian American identity that, that we're in this body, in this lifetime of ours, right? These are some questions that I have. I don't have the answers for, but I, I'm curious about these things. But some of us, um, you know, have forgotten the racialized trauma of COVID already because that's how trauma works, right? We're just sort of back to our normal routines as if nothing ever happened. Um, but what I will say is that what we've been going through during COVID is going to have intergenerational ripple effects on our children as long as we remain um, unconscious about this stuff. And so we have yet to really see how all of this is going to play out as a society. So I'm also wondering, is there anyone here today who believes that your mental health was not affected during the pandemic? I wish I could see a show of hands. Because I think when, um, you know, many folks start hearing statistics, you know, like the ones that I just covered, something typical kind of happens. You start to ask ourselves internally, wait, is this me or anyone I know? Or, or is it, you know, those people over there, we start separating ourselves and trying to distinguish whose mental health we're talking about. And, you know, many of us tend to think that mental health issues affect a certain kind of person, just not us. Okay, so I think this is where it can be helpful to talk about the mental health dual continuum model. Okay, most people think of mental health as this like linear spectrum with illness on one end and health on the other, you know, kind of like this horizontal line running from left to right in this model. And some think, oh, well, I don't have a mental illness, I'm good, right? But it's not just about having an illness or not. Okay, this model shows us also vertically, right? Good mental health on top, poor mental health on the bottom. And so what that means is that there are four quadrants, okay, that represent flourishing, both with or without illness, and languishing with or without illness. And so an example that I like to give is to say, um, let's say you have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, okay, which is a pervasive mental illness that has the potential to be uh, quite debilitating if you ignore it, okay? But let's say that you're getting treatment. Let's say you're taking um, medications that are right for you, that you have a trusted therapist, um, and together you guys are working on developing coping skills. Uh, you have an exercise routine, you're eating a healthy diet, and you have a job where um, you're really thriving because you get to use your gifts, right? Um, you're socially connected because you have a supportive uh, community of friends and family and you, you serve in your church and you find purpose and God, right? In this case, yeah, you have a mental illness, but your mental health is actually really great. Okay, so at the same time, let's say you don't 
have a diagnosable mental illness, right? And yet you wake up always feeling no energy, right? You feel uh, stuck in a rut in this job that you hate. You have coworkers you just can't seem to get along with day in and day out. You have a hard time asserting yourself, getting your needs met, right? Your self-care always falls, you know, on the last, uh, on your list of priorities. Uh, and every night you just kind of find yourself looking forward to um, binging on Netflix, right? With a glass of wine and just kind of numb out. Does this sound familiar? Right? This is the, the bottom right quadrant where I think the majority of the general population was sort of finding themselves during the lockdown of the pandemic, right? Where although uh, many people didn't have a diagnosable mental illness per se, they were languishing, right? Not flourishing. See, so you can have poor mental health even without a mental illness, okay? So what this model does is that it, it helps us see that no matter who you are, we're all on this continuum somewhere together, okay? That mental health is a dynamic process. It's not a static fixed entity. And so the bottom line is that the topic of mental health is for every single one of us, okay? So if you didn't know that before, I hope that that resonates with you today. Okay, um, and what we also know is that religious and spiritual leaders are often the first responders when someone is suffering with their mental health. You know, before Asian Americans seek professional services, research shows that we often turn to our pastors and our church leaders first. So we've talked a little a bit about what's going on with Asian American mental health. We know that we have the lowest rates of service use. We talked about how every one of us is on this continuum of mental health and illness. And we know that Asian Americans often go to their churches. So then what's the problem, right? What's so tough about this, right? Well, there are several reasons. I'm pretty confident that most pastors have heard this statistic by now, but for the rest of us, did you know that 29% of pastors in 2021 reported that they thought about quitting full-time ministry in the past year? basically one out of every three pastors, right? And that percentage increased even further to 42% in 2022, okay? In other words, pastors are getting increasingly burnt out. And to me, that really just illuminates the reality that while many pastors and church leaders are maybe wanting to start mental health ministries, Many are actually struggling with their own mental health and well-being as well. And so, you know, I think what happens is that pastors are overwhelmed themselves. And so they believe, you know, I can't possibly take on something that sounds as ambitious as a mental health ministry, right? And while, you know, there might be some truth to not being able to fully care for others without caring first for yourself, I do think that there's a hidden gem here, okay? And the fact that so many pastors and church leaders are struggling with their own mental health right now, because who better to walk with someone who's depressed than someone 
who's also been there before themselves and knows what it's like, right, to be stuck in unrelenting darkness, right? Who better to talk with someone who's lost a child, right, than someone who has also lost a child, right? There's so much power in the empathy that a pastor or church leader can offer someone when they themselves have also struggled in some of these ways. And so I want us to take stock of this uh, disconcerting reality that our leaders are struggling, but I also want us to be heartened, right? That God can use this situation for good, even if the enemy meant it for harm. So other barriers include, you know, stigma, as we probably already know, stigma around being crazy, right? This fear of being judged um, and, and alienated are so pervasive in our shame-based cultures where there's so much pressure to save face and not, you know, um, draw all this negative attention to your family, right? I am happy to see that I think we're kind of moving the needle on this, especially among Asian American young people on social media. We saw a lot of it during the pandemic. But stigma is still very much a force to be reckoned with, and I'm not going to deny that. Um, there are also many deeply embedded misconceptions about mental health issues within church culture. Okay, Oftentimes, um, there's different explanations right, between pastors and clinicians about what they think is the root of the problem. And I think pastors sometimes are overwhelmed at not knowing how to triage, right? Like what's a crisis that warrants immediate professional intervention versus something that maybe I can, you know, help address within the church, right? What's a medical issue versus a spiritual issue, right? Or is a secular therapist going to lead my uh, congregant astray with different values and, you know, make them dependent on these other sources of help instead of on God, right? There's kind of this mistrust um, and not having the right information about mental health or the right tools for how to respond uh, can leave church leaders, you know, using some kind of uh, unhelpful responses, let's say, right? Uh, unhelpful ways of framing what's going on, right? We'll say things like just pray more or, or pray harder, right? Uh, or somehow kind of like frame it as this is um, maybe punishment for some past sins uh, or even trying to approach this from um, a perspective of demon possession um, that, that we need to sort of like pray over or that this is somehow a reflection of your lack of, um, of faith, right? That somehow that it has to be a spiritual issue. Okay, those are definitely some unhelpful things that we see time and time again in the church. And so... All right, we've talked about what's going on with Asian American mental health and what some of the challenges are. Is there anything that can be done about any of this? And how can how can Asian American church leaders respond? So my family had a um, pretty traumatic crisis last month before the holidays. My mother-in-law attempted to end her life her depression spiraled, she overdosed, and she was on life support for several days in the hospital, and it didn't look like she was going to make it. So my husband and I, we sought our pastor, 
and our church for prayer and for support. And with our permission, um, our pastor asked our entire church to, to fast and to um, pray for a miracle. And I believe that the reason we were able to share this openly was because our church had already started cultivating a culture where mental health issues were starting to become normalized and okay to talk about. You know, my um, mother-in-law has struggled with uh, severe depressive episodes for many years, and she also happens to be a pastor's wife. See, many folks don't know what to make of the fact that a pastor's wife would try to die by suicide, right? There's too much cognitive dissonance, right, between how we've been conditioned to believe that if your faith is strong enough, you shouldn't be affected by mental illness. And it's funny because as Christians, we don't do this with any other illnesses, right? Like physical illnesses, but somehow when it comes to mental illnesses, it turns into a moral failure issue. It's very interesting. And so I'm happy to say that my mother-in-law is on the road to recovery. She's getting treatment and she gave me permission to share her story today because she wants to do her part to um, break the silence and the stigma surrounding mental health in the Asian American church. And so I applaud her courage, you know, particularly being from her generation. So how did my own small church cultivate a culture of mental health that made me feel safe enough to share such a deeply personal and possibly stigmatizing situation, right? I mean, my, my church is definitely a work in progress, um, but I'd like to share some elements that I've learned can be helpful. You know, even as we're continuing to grapple in all of these areas, it's not like we figured this out. And this is not a formula per se, um, because, you know, we all know that every church is very unique, right? With its own ecosystem, right? With where we're located, our demographics, our personalities, right? But when we're thinking about how to create an atmosphere that supports mental health, we can ask ourselves questions like, in my church, is it okay not to be okay? And if I'm not okay, is that going to reflect poorly on me? Right? Or when I'm not okay, does that simply point us to our collective need for God? Right? That's the culture that we're aiming for. Okay? So you need building blocks that start to cultivate a culture that normalizes mental health. And these steps start to break down stigma, start to establish safety, spark deeper connections where you can be vulnerable with one another. And all of this helps us, I think, to be in a better position to receive the gospel and have heart change. And I think that this really starts from the top down. Okay, this starts at the pulpit with pastors and church leaders modeling our own vulnerability. You know, and I'm not saying that you have to like disclose your whole life story or I'm not saying you have to be like emotional in some way in order to prove that you're trustworthy. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm saying is that as leaders, we need to demonstrate that it's okay to share about your own struggles. It's okay to ask for help 
Yes, to get therapy, to set limits, to set boundaries on your time, on your energies, right? When we do this as leaders, what, what happens is we give other people permission to be vulnerable as well. And this kind of modeling, if you do it over and over and over again, it starts to set a tone of safety in your church over time. You're also going to need a team, though, okay? Um, maybe this looks like starting a mental health committee, which is what we did in my church. Okay, you only need a few people, two, three. If you have more, great, right? But we're a small church, right? And ideally, a combination of a mental health professional, maybe someone with lived experience, uh, somebody who uh, understands why mental health should matter in the church, someone who cares about this personally, Okay, people who want to commit and invest in this. Come together and pray together. Okay, discuss together, ask God for guidance to try to figure out what the vision ought to be in your own church, right? What the goals ought to be in your own church. Take a survey or something. Try to assess what the unique needs are, you know, among your congregation. Uh, try to create a small budget to get started. Um, take baby steps the first year, right? As you kind of feel out the needs of your church, but do this with a team because you can't do this alone. And then there's the education and training component. And I think that this can take many different forms. What we did was we started a wellness support group. Okay. We met virtually every week during the pandemic lockdown. And I can share a little bit um, more about this in a different slide, um, just to give you some a better feel for what it was that we did. But you can also host seminars or invite guest speakers on various topics like trauma, addiction, eating disorders. We're actually hosting one on eating disorders tonight. Okay, you can provide mental health first aid training for your staff. Okay, so, so that they can be um, better prepared and equipped on how to talk with someone who may be in a mental health crisis. A lot of times we don't know what to do. There are trainings on this. Okay, we call it mental health first aid. You can start a sermon series if, if that's the most accessible thing to you right now. That's totally fine. This is so important. Start a sermon series on mental health related topics. Be explicit about the word mental health. You may be surprised at how important that could be for someone sitting in your congregation to feel seen, right? And talk about things like the intersection of our faith with depression and anxiety, for example, okay? You may also consider partnering with folks in your local community. I really recommend this. Find out who are your local Christian counselors or even secular therapists that you trust, reach out to them, talk with them, you know, uh, create a directory of providers that you can put together for your congregation to use as a resource. And then consider subsidizing this counseling, depending on your budget, either partially or entirely for a limited number of sessions, because there are folks who can't afford to pay out of pocket or don't have health insurance, okay? So just to recap, because I know that was kind of a lot, 
Uh, we want to normalize mental health by making it okay not to be okay, right? We want to model vulnerability and leadership uh, by investing in our own mental health as leaders and then sharing openly about some of those experiences, right? We want to build a team or a mental health committee. We want to set goals, establish a budget, right? We want to provide education and training. Think of what kind of programs you might want to do, like support groups, seminars, workshops, et cetera. And then you want to somehow maybe try to provide access to counseling by establishing a local directory of providers and consider subsidizing these fees to make you know, these resources more accessible. So I um, wanted to kind of quickly share a list of uh, group rules, right? I mentioned that we do this wellness support group meeting. And uh, this is the list of group rules that we go over at the start of every one of our meetings. Um, and it takes, you know, five minutes. And what we do is we go around and we have um, people just read out each rule one by one, taking turns. And, um, you know, we've done it so many times that by this point we've probably memorized them but we still go over them and review them every meeting to kind of set the tone for our meetings. And it's interesting because they tend to resonate with us differently from week to week, even if it's the same people. And, and we can talk about that and process that together as a group too. Um, and wh what this does is it kind of centers the people in your group and it reminds everyone of the safety of the space Right. It um, kind of contains the space that you have together and it sets the boundaries and the limits of the meeting and the time together and and um, kind of makes clear what your purpose is. Right. And which is to be grounded in your common brokenness. Right. And your common need for Christ. And so setting that tone really can open up um, uh, a lot of deeper uh, connecting. Okay, these roles were um, inspired and adapted from uh, secular support group spaces and, and, and uh, they're very commonly used in group therapy spaces because it's an effective way to establish um, safety among group participants. So I highly recommend that you use some kind of, you know, adaptation of this um, to suit, um, you know, your own, your own group's unique needs. So I also um, mentioned the importance of trainings, right? Like mental health first aid and whatnot. So I would really be remiss if I didn't point you to another fantastic resource. Mustard Seed Generation is a nonprofit organization that's committed to providing mental health in the Korean American church. Okay, but you don't have to be Korean American to learn from MSG. And, and what it is that we've been doing. So I really encourage you to check out the website. Okay, we have free resources. We have a national directory of providers from state to state. We have recorded webinars, right, that can spark small group discussions that if you, you're like, I wanna start a small group, I don't even know what to talk about, check out our webinars. We have some really, um, really interesting topics, things like communication skills for families right, of um, adolescence, right, regulating your emotions for children in elementary school, right, navigating race 
as Korean Americans. So super interesting, super relevant topics. These are pre-recorded, free, readily available. Just go on our website, check it out and use, you know, some portion or all of it to come together as a group and start talking in your church. Okay, we also have research articles, a blog. We even have a podcast that breaks down the latest research out there. So please, you know, check it out. But we also offer paid resources. If you or your church are serious about taking the next step to, um, you know, kind of really addressing mental health more explicitly, we have a phenomenal dedicated team who can um, provide, we have a two day long mental health first aid training. It's usually from Friday to Saturdays. There's a youth component and adult component. And we also have a full on seven week training program for church leaders around mental health. Okay. Um, and I, I, I'm happy to talk more about with uh, anyone who's interested later on in the lounge to give you some more details about this. Um, but I definitely want to recommend that you check us out, uh, get on the mailing list, at least as you're thinking more about this. Okay. And just a few Christian books that I think you may find useful as you're starting groups or thinking about even content for sermons. Um, when I'm Afraid by Ed Welsh is a step-by-step -step guide to managing anxiety. It can be uh, very practical and hands-on. Um, the Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. It's another great resource on conflict resolution. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro is another very popular reading that's actually part of a series. Um, and this can be helpful for discerning the difference between emotional health and spiritual health and why both are necessary in our walk with God. And then doing Asian American theology by Daniel Lee, I know it was actually mentioned um, in the other plenary as well. This actually surprised me because it's not explicitly a mental health book per se, and yet I'm finding it very relevant, actually. Um, this is particularly if you're wanting to deepen your understanding of how um, Asian American identities and sort of our larger social phenomena impact how we do church. You know, and I, I recognize not every church is interested or uh, willing to go that far. I wish that more churches were. Um, but he does an impressive job, I think, of um, integrating many mental health related theories. He brings in interpersonal neurobiology, trauma theories, talks about family systems. I was quite impressed. And so it's not a mental health book per se, but I think it's very relevant, um, especially if you're looking for how to kind of contextualize sermons. So so check it out. I'm not a theologian. Pastors will probably benefit more from it than, than I can. Um, but I found that book very helpful as well. So you know, taken together, I think these are some great resources to help you get started um, and get started in kind of thinking about more critical conversations um, in your own ministry spaces. So I know we covered a lot, okay? Uh, and this is just a conversation starter for those who may be thinking about this for the first time, um, or even if you've been thinking about this for a while and if maybe... Um, felt very isolated or alone, you know, um, I hope this is a continuation or extension of the things that maybe you've been grappling with. I'm still grappling with a lot of things myself. And I'm happy again to talk offline with anyone at the Air Meet Lounge afterwards. 
um, maybe if you want to kind of talk about any of these things in a more granular way uh, about anything that I've said today. So come join me and let's chat. Um, but if nothing else, you know, I hope that you'll take away um, these very basic points. First, because every one of us falls somewhere on the mental health continuum, every family is impacted in some way by mental health challenges at some point in our lives. And that means that every Asian American church has mental health needs that are not being met right now. Secondly, as Christians, we're called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? Galatians 6, 2. You know, Jesus spent much of his ministry healing. He didn't just care about getting us to heaven. He cared about our minds, our bodies, our spirits, right? Loving the body of Christ and loving our neighbors necessarily means we are to care about the mental health of our brothers and sisters. And third, we just can't afford to ignore this any longer. I mean, straight up to be very blunt about it. The mental health system is broken and under-resourced. Then that, that can't be the only um, resource that we rely on, okay? Meanwhile, Asian American mental health challenges are on the rise post-COVID. And so more and more of us are turning to the church for help and support. And so we can start with small steps, staying in this discourse together, collaborating with each other, coming together in spaces like this in the body of Christ enables us, I think, to do this together. You know, we're planting seeds now for a future harvest that, you know, maybe we may not be around for to fully see, but our kids will. And so, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Thank you. We here at the Center for Asian American Christianity at Princeton Theological Seminary invite you to join in the ongoing dialogue on Asian American faith, identity, social engagement, and ministry through our newsletter, blog, and upcoming conferences at ltiaa.com.